Hey everybody, this is Sam, that girl with the curls, bringing you another episode of this amazing little podcast that I started not two years ago. Two or three. Oh god, now I can't even keep track of it anymore. <laughs> um, but slowly but surely gearing our way towards episode 100, which I have no idea what I'm going to do when I get to that point, nor do I know who will be the guest when that happens, because I kind of, this is kind of more of a seat-of-the-pants scheduled one, um as, as th- for this podcast, I guess. But uh, that's not neither here nor there at this point. Uh, what you're concerned about is this current podcast, which is episode 88, uh, Benjamin Dewey, who, if you're not aware, uh, he is the artist behind uh, Autumnlands currently, as well as the uh, graphic novel I Was the Cat, which uh, I talked to Paul Tobin about, um, as well as the tragedy series, uh, these just amazing, you know, Victorian-inspired uh, tragedy cards that are humorous and, and you know, kind of emotional at times. It's really weird how you can attach such things. But uh, he's... Benjamin Dewey is one of those guys who's just really thoughtful, and we have a really, like, really great conversation about, you know, the internet and, uh, you know, liking something unironically and just trying to find ways to, uh, you know, spend your time as as... as fulfillingly as you can, if that's even a a thing. But uh, no, it's a great conversation. I was so glad that we could find the time to do it. And of course, you know, like I say about all of my guests, but it applies. uh, He's welcome to come back on the show whenever he uh, feels the need or if he just wants to, you know, BS the night away. I'm always open to conversation. So uh, yes, Uh, please to enjoy Benjamin Dewey. Good. Oh, did you want to do video? Oh, no, we don't have to. They're as easy as for you. Oh, sure. No, it's okay. In a fairly lit room, I think. <laughs> there we go. All right. There's me in my terry cloth shirt. <laughs> this is my, my studio, uh, at least until we get the outside structure finished. Mm-hmm. So my computer is sitting on a shelf right above my desk. Oh no! So that I can look at uh, reference and stuff, but I'll show you. I'll rotate the camera around. Ooh! <gasps> Ooh! Pretty. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. <laughs> like that—that's when we get to the gushy part of the podcast, which can basically start right now. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, because. Um, I was uh, I was looking over your work uh, last week when we were going to do this, and again, thank you for being very understanding about. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, I I I was just listening to this podcast today where uh, Ezra Klein was talking to a computer scientist named Cal Peterson mm-hmm. about the nature of how we divvy up time and um, the the types of distractions and the pace of life and all these other things. 
And I tried to link to it on Twitter, maybe ironically. <laughs> you know, like, get off social media and, and, and listen to this podcast about how there should be limits set by social media mm-hmm. uh, on how how we choose to interact with other things but it didn't work out like <laughs> I get I'm, I'm not super tech savvy so I just linked generally to his show but mm-hmm. I totally know what you mean like schedules are can be complicated and oh yeah I, it's I'm glad you could do it yeah no I mean in half of it now because my uh, I'm I'm helping my sister take care of her son and yeah. and he's he's a little baby so uh <laughs> take it up he takes up some time now so it's like i'm i'm trying to like figure out because he's not my kid obviously but at the same time it's like i'm trying to figure out like what my schedule is now and still trying to do things like this you know with with people i want to talk to but you're like but there's a baby over there (laughs) but again i i appreciate you being understanding and you know oh sure yeah no problem yay uh but yeah uh, let's just start this a little bit proper. I mean, whatever. Uh, Benjamin Dewey, welcome to That Girl with the Curls. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah. I've seen you at a, a few of the cons and... Uh, <laughs> oh, with the window. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's okay if you need to go back to the bathroom. It's fine, but... <laughs> no, I, just, like, I had to close it because uh, my street, even though it's a dead end... There's a guy who drives down every day and mm-hmm. has his gigantic dually diesel truck. Oh. And he turns around so that he can leave the next morning fluidly. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So, gotcha. Yeah. He's, like, he's like backing up and you just hear the meep, meep. <laughs> yeah. It's like, for real? <laughs> um, but yeah, we, so we've, we've seen each other at, uh, at Emerald City, definitely. And um, did you go to Rose City last couple of years? Yeah, yeah, I usually do. I I go because it's in town and it's a, a good show. Ron Brister, as far as I know, is the person running it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I met him through Jim, who used to run ECC and now still has a hand in it. Yeah, you know, I I, I follow them on Twitter, so whenever they start showing up again, I'm like, oh, okay, a thing's happening, and should I know about yeah. it? <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, it's it's always been uh, fun to you know chat with you just about oh, you know a few things here and there, and definitely this year I, I finally got around to giving my sister the um, the uh, uh, nevertheless she persisted of Leslie Nope that you did. Nice. Yeah, it's one of her favorite characters. So I was like, oh, I've just found it, and gave it to her, and she's like, yay! <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Well, that's I mean that's I like to do shows is uh, most of the time I'm just this room or some room that's just like it Mm -hmm. you know drawing for between 8 and 16 hours a day depending on how Mm -hmm. the schedule shakes out and conventions give me a chance to meet people who make what I do possible and I'm really grateful for that opportunity because otherwise I'm just making stuff in a vacuum and you don't really quite know Mm -hmm. so you can look at social media but there's a, I think negativity bias plays a lot into that where it's a space where most people go to vent or it's a space where people go to establish a very specific part of their identity. (laughs) And that does tend to be, you know, some people do obviously, but, but it's not a place where people gush about the stuff that they just absolutely love. And, you know, without there being this, you know, uh, attendant 
pylon of people who are like, well, I don't think it's that great. And, I, you know, like, I know. That's the thing that always kind of bugs me, too, because, I mean, and, yeah. and I think we're all guilty of it, yeah, at some point of, you know, you say you, either you're having a bad day or just something really is bugging you or whatever, so you say, like, some, you know, some mean, nasty shit about something, and it's okay to swear because I just did it, so you're cool, um, but <laughs> feel free, um, but uh, the, the there's a dearth sometimes of positivity, where where you just yeah. like look guys it's okay to like things and and you can like it unironically. Um. <laughs> I I made a point recently uh, to really try and pay attention to if I have that impulse to say here's why I didn't like this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I that that's something that I don't mind doing with my brother or if my wife and I are talking about a thing I can describe. But I also feel like there's a certain value in maintaining a public sphere where, you know, to use a phrase I heard somebody else say, you don't yuck somebody else's yum. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Like, if you, if, if somebody likes a thing, like, what benefit accrues to me or them mm-hmm. for me to come on and say, well, you know, I didn't like Rogue One, I thought it was unnecessary. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a story that didn't get told. That's irrelevant. You know, like, I saw Dan Harmon say at one point on uh, Harmontown, maybe a bunch of times, mm-hmm. that maybe it's not for him, but, you know, he's he's 43, and, and it's, it's the whatever 400th movie he's seen, <laughs> but it's the third movie you've seen, and you've never seen anything like it, mm-hmm. that the transcendence of that experience is really important, and even if you're... I don't know, 35, and it's it's a movie you've seen, and it hits you in just the right spot. That, I think, is an important aspect of culture, and it's a bummer that there are people who participate in culture by saying, well, I'm going to establish my cool, my pedigree of taste mm-hmm. by telling you what you should or shouldn't like. Yeah. And, you know, the aggregate of opinions is what matters. And it's like, it doesn't really... Yeah. You know, I learned this from my wife because she grew up uh, in a, a fairly religious context and her mom wouldn't let her watch a lot of things. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as a result, she only got to see a handful of movies. And because she only got to see a handful of movies, she would find little vignettes in those movies and make a big deal out of mm-hmm. those moments. And whereas before I used to be pretty highly critical of, of what what was cool you know like i learned from her it does the whole thing doesn't have to be cool you, you like there's workable swatches of fabric culturally that you can pull from mm-hmm. you know this thing or that thing and, and even in retrospect it doesn't have to be perfect you, like there's things i liked about transformers when i was a kid yeah that i'm i re-examined and be like oh that's cheap fabric that's not good it's a toy commercial mm-hmm. but as a kid, you can still access that part of your brain as an adult where it got lit up. There was some part of your imagination that got activated. Okay. I, I like that. No, so my... Um, exactly. No, I, and I totally agree. My um, my sister and I, some years ago, we, we put in the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, the one from 1990. <laughs> and we, we, we put it in, and we're just like, let's just watch it. And we did, and we're like... This still is a good movie. Like it still holds up, and we remember. I mean, the nostalgia starts kicking in, obviously. But then you're like, "Man, this is—it's still really good." <laughs> and, yeah. and we're just sitting there, just it's, going. It's nice that, 
No, go ahead. Oh, I was just, it's nice to, nice to have the opportunity to, as an adult, reevaluate those things and be honest with yourself, mm-hmm. right? It's like you see Ninja Turtles and it's good, but then you go back and you watch, I don't know, Monster Squad, and you're like, oh, shit, this is not... Not what I remember. Oh, there are so uh, many things that don't hold up to, to scrutiny when you're an adult. The the things that you let kind of like slide when you were a kid. Because, I mean, you, you weren't, first of all, you probably weren't jaded enough to have that kind of outlook on life. Yeah. But the, well, I mean, and that's something I, I realized recently. And like, because like, people will go into these, these uh, apoplectic states of, um, you know, rage over this thing or that thing gets changed in Star Wars or they'll just roll around in their fandom in this way that can seem kind of obscene. Mm-hmm. And I think there was a time in my life where I used to think like, yeah, the original trilogy, that's all I care about, you know, theatrical edition, blah, blah, blah. And I remember watching Return of the Jedi as somebody in my early 30s and thinking like, this is not good. <laughs> you know? And like, it, it, like, there's parts of it that are awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, like the space battles, Jabba's palace is still interesting to me more or less, mm-hmm. um, but as soon as Han Solo comes out of Carbonite, I'm like, man, this is not the same guy who went in. Yeah. He is like a Pratt falling Yeah, yeah. Uh, and who does not have swagger. It's like, did you guys forget who this person was between movies? This is not good. It, it wouldn't surprise me. It is, you know, maybe that's when George Lucas was really starting to show his hand. It was like, well, you know. <laughs> but that's a, the funny thing is, like, I can still you know, enjoy it while being critical of the parts I think are problematic, and that is useful if you're a creative person. And mm-hmm. I, like, this is something I'm curious of how this, this might affect your choices when you see things that are negative about a thing that you loved or do love. Mm-hmm. Do you just take you take those on board and think I'm going to avoid that mistake? Uh. No, I mean that's a that's actually a really good question because I I feel like I struggle with that too sometimes where you know someone yeah. will say something negative about a, a movie I really liked and and in like you said it's not it's not an affront on me it's not them personally attacking me it's it's attacking a thing that we both saw but they came out with a different opinion on and and i feel like if this was like maybe 5 years ago i might have been more angry it would have been like i can't believe you why, why? or i might have tried to engage it but i i don't know it feels like i mean for me personally in the last like few years i've really mellowed out about engaging on that point cuz it's like right. i don't have well, the I, I don't, that, that is an interesting that's an interesting point this idea that you know when you said i don't take it personally like that I think is the key to interacting with culture or interacting with any subject Mm -hmm. which is that if you don't if you have opinions that you value and you can address why you arrived at them that's Mm -hmm. good yeah but if you get to a point where you think your opinion is unassailable and sacred Mm -hmm. that's where it becomes a big problem and interacting with other people you know whether it's within a fandom or you know a political context or anything else expecting a, a kind of uh, purity test for any of this stuff I think can become where the best aspects of culture start to eat themselves yeah. you know, or any movement or anything else and mm-hmm. uh, yeah like I, I like stuff but if it's like I love Pacific Rim but if the second movie is no good mm-hmm. I don't have I'm not gonna pretend that it is and 
I think that that, that approach, if, it's, if you can enact it across the board, it's the kind of thing that will help you um, with just about every aspect of your life, yeah. whether it's politics or anything else. No, I mean, it's it's always important to, you know, even if it's something you love, to you can acknowledge that there are flaws in a thing that you love. I mean, that's 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 the whole point, I think, of when you grow up and you revisit all that stuff, where you're just like, no, 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 it's still fun, but yeah, the story's kind of, like, really low, you know, there's, the dialogue's a little corny at times, and there's really no character development for anybody, but you know what, I still enjoy it. <laughs> like, right. Yeah, like that's, that's, that's what I've learned from Lindsay, was that she, she will... Like it's also, I know that there are points where I have to be able to to address it with her and say like, "No, I'm glad you still like this, but I don't you know, like if we're gonna sit down and watch a thing. Like, I don't want to watch Overboard. No, oh Overboard. I mean, like, yeah, like once is fine. Yeah. <laughs> no, there are a lot of movies where like, I'm glad I watched it the one time. I don't ever have to watch it again. I'm yeah. good. Like my my sister can watch a, a movie like several times, like within yeah. a day, like over and over. And I'm like, look, I I appreciate the Thirteenth Warrior for what it is, but <laughs> but I'm yeah. but I'm not gonna like put it in every day and watch it and go like, oh, see how they did Beowulf. I see how they did Beowulf. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny to have uh, a DVD collection now too. Mm-hmm. You know, something I started accumulating when I was in my twenties, and I go back and I'm like. Do I really need to own all the Blade movies? <laughs> yeah, like what? I mean, I love that character, but like, how how likely is it now in an age where you can have access to uh, a host of different streaming services? You could probably find it. Yeah. If you couldn't find it there, you could find a Redbox, and if if you're in Portland, like I am, mm-hmm. you could find a, you know a video store where they'll have it. And I I like that it sort of makes it more of an event it makes it more um committing to some practical choice instead of just Mm -hmm. inertia yeah there Uh, there was a something i was reading i think it was was a little while ago but they were talking about um you know with the with ipods and everything the experience of listening to music has changed from a group dynamic to a personal one like in that's interesting yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's in yeah in public spaces where you know beforehand it was either you had the boombox out and you were annoying everybody on the bus, but maybe it was a good tune and everyone was like, yeah, that's good on you. But now it's much more of a a personalized. You know, like my earbuds are only in my ears; no one else is listening to it, and you know this experience is all about me. You know, instead of oh, we're all enjoying this record, or you know, if we're gonna go back to vinyl, which. We could. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, mean, I think that's, that's the other thing that's, that's uh, interesting and, and strange about it, too, is that, like, the nature of culture has moved on from a place where there were gatekeepers that limited who was famous mm-hmm. you know, or what was cool. Yeah. And, you know, only be, in part because, you know, these things emerge out of a, a fairly organic uh merger of culture and technology right so like if you're a kid who was born in the you know 80s then cassettes are what you have access to yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like if you're a kid who's born in the 60s then you get records and you know like uh, our parents generation the stuff they had was something i had access to but there was something 
fascinating and old-fashioned even when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember the smell of the thing that my dad kept the records in, this credenza that had these two yeah. pockets. I could open them up and I'd pull them out and the, the album was as big as my face. Mm-hmm. It's like, there's something really nice about that, like, filling up your field of vision. Mm-hmm. And it's weird now that, like, not just has the technology broken down into these these tiny little incremental things, right? Where, like, it's a personal experience, but it's also the kind of thing where people don't tend to listen fully to records. Yeah. They switch out because we've accustomed our brains to this, you know, surge of dopamine and, um, you know, constant novelty. Yeah. So getting a record that you listen to all the way through, a full recording that's meant to be listened to from start to finish, Mm -hmm. that's really rare. The the idea of the concept album, I mean, even, like, a... When I was in college, I think the closest that we got was, uh, you know, American Idiot. Uh, we re- I mean, yeah, I, 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 going back to the discussion about things that you love that other people don't, uh, one of my, my friends and I in school, he would constantly rag on Green Day in front of me because he knew I liked it so much. Well, like, I, I love this new Mastodon record. I love all the Mastodon records. Mm-hmm. Uh, largely because there are a group of people who seem to care about things from the top down. So they put everything in their special edition vinyls. They hire really great illustrators or artists to do their album covers. Mm -hmm. And uh, this most recent record, it it was just perfect for me because, you know, like my dad passed away from stomach cancer and and esophageal cancer when I was 20. Mm. And he was somebody I loved a lot. And this record is all about that. And they made this concept record that's about the experience of, Know, dealing with that as an aspect of your life, this comet hits your your planet, and all of a sudden you have to you know rejigger every uh, dial and gauge you've got. Yeah, yeah. And it was just like it was just a perfect combination of things for me. Uh, and you know, it's like yeah, like Green Day was the thing where when I was a guitar teacher, I had to trans- transcribe it all the time. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, kids would come <laughs> in, and they were, it was a thing where like I think. Uh, American Idiot had come out and it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. I would so I transcribe a lot of that and a lot of Sum Forty One and <laughs> so oh my God, Sum Forty One. Like so, so like I there were things where I got tired of it for other reasons, mm-hmm. but I think that was a good training ground for me because people would come in, they'd bring in records, and they'd say, "Help me figure out how to play this." Mm-hmm. And even if I didn't care, I would learn something about how music had been structured and that gave me a different appreciation for it i liked it definitely yeah i i took guitar for a very brief period of time <laughs> very brief <laughs> and it's a it's a it's a hard thing i think this is the thing i think about a lot now too is is uh i saw this cover of a, of a guitar player magazine that said who will save the guitar uh, that's a funny thing it's like well, nobody yeah you know like if you live in an age where you can Twitch stream you playing Minecraft, and and that will get you, I don't know, twenty thousand followers who will send money to your Patreon or whatever. Mm-hmm. What is the likelihood that you're going to want to sit down and and do this fairly counterintuitive task that has no real cultural currency right now? Like, uh, yeah, you know what I mean. It's no, like, I do. There's yeah, no, there's no guitar heroes. It's not like there's some equivalent of Jimmy Page or uh, Jimi Hendrix or something. There's, there isn't that. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of little niche interests, and, and I, I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. I, I think 
it just is the what culture is going forward is that instead of these redwoods, just like we were talking about with the records, where you have you know a, a thousand people who are hugely famous for whatever, mm-hmm. either they're musicians or they're actors, and like you know when you start losing people like David Bowie or um, Alan Rickman who are part of the zeitgeist, mm-hmm. and that's that's the thing, and everybody knows those movies because there was only a handful of those movies. But now you can see things on Netflix, and you can watch stuff on Hulu, and you can see little indie channels and Skype channels and YouTube things. And yeah. Like, there's not going to be Redwoods anymore, I don't think. Yeah, we're, we're suffering from a, it's like a dilemma of choice. You know, it's this, like, yeah, yeah, we, we have so much at our fingertips, and while that's great, because now you're like, well, literally nothing is is um, foreign to me, or is, you know, I, I'm, I'm not limited by anything. But at the same time, yeah. that unlimited nature of, you know, the internet and streaming services and, and you know, anyone can be in a band. Ba- I mean, that, that's always been the case, but you, right. anyone can get but YouTube now, famous. Yeah, basically, there's no barrier between you being in a band and people hearing what you do. Exactly. Whereas before, the distribution of it was, was almost impossible at the same scale as, but now, like, the playing field has been leveled. But I think you're right. There's an option paralysis, mm-hmm. and the tricky part is is generating that signal to noise where you cut through on some level. Yeah, and and, and that's that's a thing that and it happens in comics all the time, mm-hmm. where you kind of got to find your your niche if you're lucky enough, and then you know like exploit's not the right word. <laughs> Try and foster yeah the things that people like best about you without necessarily pandering. Yeah, no, I mean, comics especially, uh, it, you know, it's, I mean, it's it's like any other, you know, medium at, at this point where it's like you, you have to find something that's going to make you stand out in a certain way, you know, and yeah. uh, with artists, yeah, uh, you guys are the, I mean, you're the aspect of comics that most people associate. I mean, that's the thing. It's like if your art is to like someone else's or has a style of like whatever, you know, you get those comparisons. Um, you know, I talk to a lot of writers as well. And so with the writers, it's like trying to find a voice that stands out and makes people want to come back to the book as well. Cause like a, an artist, uh, writer combo can, can change your entire dynamic with a, with a work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I was younger and I was just buying comics before I was doing them professionally, I would always get bummed out when the team would break up, mm-hmm. you know, especially just as if I was getting into it and then the team would switch. It was frustrating because I, I had initially bought the book with the intention of like, all right, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a, a way to make a personal connection to these people. That will be it. I'll, I'll, I'll know their stuff and I'll be a supporter. And I, I think people want to be fans mm-hmm. you know, on some level of, of a thing. Yeah. And part of it is making sure that you're consistent enough, that you're around enough. And the thing that, that I, I find comes up a lot when I see people discussing the nature of teams or like, you know, why this creative team works, whatever, it, it almost is, is a, about, you know, consistency and ubiquity. Mm-hmm. And if you're around enough and people see your name enough, there will be, or you're on the right event. Yeah. If it happens to, there's like a Venn diagram. We're like, okay, you <laughs> are 
just good enough to get on this DC book where, mm-hmm. you know, Batman teams up with Clayface for six issues, and it's a huge deal because the, the writer's a big deal, and, you know, like, it happens to coincide with a good DC movie or something. Mm-hmm. You know, like, then that can be it. Yeah. And I've seen artists who I'm not necessarily personally a fan of, but I have huge lines mm-hmm. because there's cultural currency in, uh, you know, going up to their table and having them sign this event that they worked on. Yeah. And that that's a weird thing, but I see why people will stick with it and just ride it for as long as they can. Yeah, and the because the the artist, uh, you know, the the team aspect on books has a, has recently come up as an issue just because there is uh, I, I can't remember the exact details of it, but I know that there's like some writers who like purposely try not to work with the same artist for a long period of time, um, or it's the the company itself like they they basically break up teams on purpose, yeah. you know, and and that never. I mean, I understand probably they're trying to do it because they want to save money or something like that, but it's yeah, like... I think burnout is a big part of it, too. Mm-hmm. You know, like that... Um, it's it's less talked about with writers in, in part because of the way that they can... It's less labor-intensive in a physical way yeah. to sit down and write a page. It's, it's, it's difficult in other ways, though, because... You're, you're, you know, effectively structuring things in a in a vacuum. You don't know what people think until it's out there already. Mm-hmm. And by that point, it's far enough removed from from your creative process. It's gone through several hands. Yeah. Um, you know, but I think the reason, in part, why why partnerships break up probably the most is that uh, artists can only handle so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, uh, there's there's instances where. I would love to work on a bunch of different things, but I made a commitment to Kurt and I made a commitment to readers where I want to see the project through and see where it goes. And, and and right now it's a, it's a really good relationship, but I, there are definitely times where I feel burned out and I think, do I want to keep doing autumn lands for 10 more years? He's been working on on Astro city for 25 years. Oh yeah. (laughs) You know, like, I don't, I can't, I can't make that kind of commitment, but it, it is funny when you see, like, Jeff Parker said on Twitter the other day, he's like, okay, now all my colleagues are mad at each other, <laughs> because this discussion came up in part prompted by, I think, Axel Alonso's comments, and then somebody at Marvel, like their, I don't know, stock manager, or the guy who, oh, yeah, yeah, retail and stuff, saying something about what was important what sells books mm-hmm. which is it's a it's a silly th- thing because it's it just it's, a, it's not it's not a worthwhile conversation really to have because it's not going to change the facts on the ground but yeah the, the material reality of, of you know why artists have a hard time selling books on their own I think is partially because they can only work on so many mm-hmm. you know right so like Take, if it takes me eight to twelve hours to do a page, and it takes a writer, I don't know, four hours yeah. at the most to write one page of comics, whatever, you're going to see that ratio of output is going to favor the writer. No, the yeah, the economy of of the artist's time is 
is such a different aspect of the the process of creating comics that I feel like there, I mean, there are definitely a lot of people who understand that because they're more in the know or they've been in the industry for a very long time. I mean, or you have people like me who have just been like reviewing comics and like talk to people in the industry. So you, you, you have a good idea of like, okay, yeah, a writer will spend so much time, but the artist needs a lot more time to actually make that happen. Um, and then if one of you falls behind, then the colorist doesn't get it on time and then the letterer doesn't get, you know, there's, there's this whole thing that it's not just, oh, it, it sprung forth from Zeus's head, you know, fully formed. And that's the other problem with like how people think about artists or colors or anybody else on the team is that there's a general understanding of how words are formed. Mm Mm-hmm. And there, I've noticed with friends of mine who are not involved in any kind of creative industry, they'll volunteer their thoughts on the plot of a movie, or they'll learn a mm-hmm. snippet of, of uh, structure for writing, and they're like, oh, they'll learn the term plot hole. <laughs> like, no, it has a specific meaning. You mm-hmm. know? And I, I, I want to be fair to people who write comics criticism, because it's not easy. No. You're trying to look at this this uh, combination of all these different things, and the problems that I the only problems I generally have with people who are who are writing comics criticism is when they talk about a book as if one person made it, mm-hmm. you know, or they're they make assumptions about process that are not accurate. Yeah, you know, like uh, I've had that happen a couple times and. And usually I don't, it doesn't profit me to get involved and be like, hey, I was not the reason the book was late. <laughs> you know? But there, there are times where I feel like as a, as a matter of uh, trying to help the discussion be more clear, here's what's involved. Mm-hmm. Here's the choice making that gets done between me and Kurt and Jordy and JG, our letterer, and there are times where I'm amazed that anything ever gets made. Yeah. <laughs> Not by us, just but by anybody. Mm-hmm. Because it requires you to sit down and set aside this certain amount of time. And I think there's a, there's a physicist I like named Lawrence Krauss who he's equated writing books to having a, having a baby. Mm. It's like if you remembered exactly how hard it was the first time, you wouldn't do it again. He's <laughs> like, oh, but fortunately, we, we tend to forget the, the hardest parts, and then you remember the satisfaction of, of making something, and then you mm-hmm. you just have this momentum, and you carry it through. Yeah, it's like this little like miracle that, you know, every time a, a comic book issue goes out, you're like, oh my god, it, it happened, we did it, and, you yeah. know, if you can bank a few, that's great, um, you, odds are you'll, you'll get... It always seems, especially with the independent, uh, you know, with the smaller publishers, there's this tendency to, you know, try to get at least the first arc kind of completed as much as you possibly can before putting it out there. Whereas the DC Marvel kind of stuff is like, okay, let's just go, 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 and hope it happens. (laughs) And and, and part of that is like, you know, why do they plan things out so far in advance? Why do they prioritize Mm -hmm. writers over artists in, in many cases? It's because they can they can bank on the physical viability of somebody writing a book for longer than they can count on an artist drawing it. Yeah. And right now with Autumn Lands, we are trying to do the same thing. Where we're, 
like I'm working on issue 16 right now is erasing pages while we're talking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so some some stuff I go back into with pencil, and I want to get rid of that stuff before I do wash tones. Yeah. Uh, but we want to get something like three issues ready to go before we continue down that road. Because if you solicit and you don't have books ready, then you're constantly just running against the clock and trying to get mm-hmm. stuff out and that was a problem we had with the first two arcs. Yeah. And my life was awful. I said no to every social engagement. I haven't I haven't been on a trip to go anywhere in uh let's see five years. Oh good God. Yeah. Yeah, so like that's that's just what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, like you you commit to these things and then you know, Lindsay and I bought a house and so then I had to stay ahead of those things and uh, you know, like all the savings we had went into buying the house. Mm-hmm. And so now, like, I owe a lot of money in taxes. <laughs> and I just have to keep drawing and drawing and drawing. And, like, it's, they're like, I just did this conference in San Francisco where we were talking to young people. And they would ask all these questions about, you know, what is it, you know, what's it like to be a, a comic book artist? And what do you have to do? And what do you think of my portfolio? And I almost always want to say to them, like, well, first of all, that's all fine, but you need an accountant, and you need a work-life balance plan, mm. and uh, you need to learn how to, to say no to things. Yes. And, you know, like a, Invest in whiskey. Uh... Yeah, make a, make a point to work out, make, a, mm. make time to eat well, because you're going to get to a point where you will have sat down in a chair for two years working on a thing and you'll stand up and you won't recognize yourself. Mm. No, no. It's, it's crazy. And, uh, you know, that's just the nature of the industry. And that's, uh, at least in America, that's mm-hmm. the case. It's like why you tell someone you're a comic book artist and someone's like, oh my God, we call that the Widowmaker. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, like, uh, all, like I, I went through a period of time where I had no gray hair. Mm-hmm. And I started working on Autumn Lands, and now I've got a lot. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> like, it just, it's exhausting. And, you know, there are times where I'll see people talk about this choice or that choice. And like, man, you don't know. Like, <laughs> just like you're in a trench, and you just want to make it to the next trench. Oh, man. you just It's like, a, it's such a war zone now where you're just like, man, I've seen some shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, and, and, hard but it can it can be hard and good at the same time mm-hmm. you know you having the experience of being able to do this for a living so it goes back to what i was saying about conventions i'm glad that i get a chance to meet people mm-hmm. and and that they validate my choice to spend my life doing this thing yeah uh, it's really nice you know and, and for all the times that are tough i remember times where i was doing jobs that i hated where people didn't value me for whatever specific thing I could do mm-hmm. and so uh, even at the times where it's tough you you remember that simultaneously though like you don't you don't want to fall into this place where you you are so glad for the opportunity that you cease to make active steps to care for yourself and I did yeah. that for a long time and more people who are considering getting into the industry should know that about what it takes to do the job is that 
you can fall into a headspace where you think, well, I'm just so lucky. I'm so grateful, so glad to do this job. Yeah. I can never be, uh, you know, I can never ask for specific time off. I can never turn a thing down. Mm-hmm. You know, I can never complain about the conditions under which I'm producing a thing. And it, that, I feel like that, that excludes a whole middle range of possibilities where yeah. you make a point to to prioritize certain things in your life, but you then simultaneously are grateful for the opportunity. You can you, can, you can have it all. You can you can have some uh, uh, you can have the the life of the artist, but also have some concerns and issues that you want to bring up every once in a while. <laughs> Uh, but al- allow me to, to then do the validation part for you right now, because, um, like I said, uh, I, I was looking back on, on some of your work and I had the fortunate, uh, uh, time to, uh, to talk to Paul Tobin about, okay. uh, I was the cat. <laughs> we, we had a very lengthy conversation about, um, I think it was most of the podcast actually ended up being, uh, us talking about, uh, how we would take over the world. So, I mean, I'm giving you the floor as well. Like, how how would Benjamin Dewey take over the world at this point? <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, I think I would. I would. Uh, I don't know that I, I want to take over the world. I, I think if I could do anything, I would. I would uh, drop leaflets with Carl Sagan's baloney detection kit <laughs> everywhere. Uh-huh. Just make sure people had the tools for clear thinking as much as possible, and then we could collaborate. There you we know, go. That that would be my 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 big gesture, if possible, would be to find some way to you know get get clear clear, straightforward, self-critical thinking mm-hmm. in place. Because oftentimes when I'm am having you know, frustrating interactions with people. It really comes down to that. It's like, oh wow, it's uh, it's pride. It's this mishmash of, of ideas that make sense, or mm-hmm. and then things that are intuitive, and then things that are emotionally satisfying but totally wrong. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> that's, so uh, like, most of the time, I'm sort of content to let people be whoever they're going to be. But when I see things that are being enacted on a, a social level at a at a high degree, or in a political sphere, where I'm like. Oh, so close! Really? <laughs> Just about there. So, so what I'm there. what I'm really hearing is ragtag group of uh, <laughs> missionaries that are going to come in and change the world through clear thought and. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, the, uh, I mean, like, there's there's a handful of people who I think are really great thinkers, but it gets back to that signal to noise thing that you and I were talking about before the mm-hmm. the nature of. Um, you know, how much of this information really impacts people and then what do they remember? What do they walk away from it? Yeah. Um, usually having as, as part of the, the, the uh, backlog, the mechanism in their brain that runs through the software and then comes out with a good result. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, and this, this is, gets into, you know, why people like certain things and not other things and, you know, why are people who have a appreciation for one variation on a thing? I don't know if you and I were talking about this at, at Emerald City, but there's a, a sort of hypothetical Batman or Wolverine fan that 
that I like to talk about. No, I don't think we talked about this. Please, please this, continue. This idea that, like, you, and you can point this person out at a show and know that this person in the Batman hockey jersey mm-hmm. has come here, you know, uh, generally with the intent to get more Batman. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I think that this is something, this is not in a way to be derogatory towards people who like that thing. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, Batman's just a stand-in. It's a MacGuffin for whatever else. But when people have had the experience where as a child or, you know, or as a young adult or whenever it was, when their brain got lit up by a specific cultural object, mm-hmm. right? This is so exciting. This has changed my life. Yeah. You know, for me, it was Hellboy. Nice. And... Uh, what I didn't, you know, for the longest time, I just tried to get everything Hellboy that there was, and I didn't realize that the experience of, of that novelty or excitement was not endemic to Hellboy. Mm-hmm. That is the hardest thing to get across. Most people have found a log to cling to, mm-hmm. to float in the ocean of culture, where they're just, oh my god, you know, like, if I leave this log behind, I will drown. You yeah. Know, like, <laughs> Mm-hmm. And a part of that is that we, we we buttress certain cultural objects by saying, you know, your your friend's older brother who's the cool kid, he really likes Metallica. Mm-hmm. So maybe you should listen to Metallica too. Yeah. You know, that that can be part of it. But, you know, with things that, that are new, with things that don't have that background, that's the hardest thing to get across. And I wish that comics culture made more of a point of that, where instead of, you know, and it's a worthwhile argument to have, and I see people have it, you know, on a regular basis, and there's there's value in it too, but the conversation about, like, should this character be a female version of the character we all know? Mm-hmm. Should this character be, you know, a different ethnic representation of the character than before? That's totally great, and I, I'm like, the Sam Wilson run on Captain America was my favorite thing that I've read in a long time. Mm-hmm. But I'm much more interested in seeing a character that isn't a repackaging of a familiar, iconographic character. Yeah. Because I don't want it to be this thing where inevitably the pendulum will swing back to the original. Yeah, and they're like, well, this didn't work, so we'll just go back to... Right, because it allows them to, you know, whoever's manufacturing this thing to have the excuse, like... Well, people want classic Coke, so we're just going to go back to that, and we're not going to make any other beverages. You know, like, this is what we do now. Yeah. And, I like, I want to see, you know, like, this is why I think that conversation about representation, you know, in the, in the space where, where people who are otherwise marginalized groups are not given a platform, um, it's, it is really important to see different perspectives, because mm-hmm. at one time, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby were working out of a, a hole-in-the-wall office, and they were not, a, a, they were a fly-by-night kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. They, they could take chances. And now that mechanism is so big, it's a $7 billion wheel that turns, <laughs> the likelihood that they're going to take a risk, or that a fan is going to take a risk, it compounds. Yeah. Right? And so, like, there are people who feel really vindicated when they get to see their character, um, you know, manufactured by a big entity. But the thing that I, I always try and push is like, Go out of your way to find a thing that is not the Batman you came here for. Yeah. Whatever that is. Like, if, even if you're a person who's like, I only like Alison Bechtel, that's all I care about. 
I want to get, you know, is there another fun home? What's another fun home? It's like, don't think that way. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that's fine too, but if that's the only mechanism by which you enter a convention space or a comic book shop or anything else, it is going to be a difficult and slow road. Of, yeah. No, I, I sometimes envy that single-mindedness, you know, when the person's like, I'm, I'm only here for Batman, or I'm only here for Wolverine, or what, I mean, yeah. to, to use your example, I mean, because I, 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 I mean, just personally, I like a lot of different things, and sometimes sure. that can, again, it's the, the, the dilemma of choice, where you're like, I like all this stuff, and, you know, money-wise, you can only spend so much unless you really right. want to go in debt, um, and then that's, that's, that's the risk aversion problem, right? So yeah. like, when you go to a restaurant and you know the thing you like, mm-hmm. we don't want to waste our limited resource. Exactly. And that's time too, right? It's like, it's not just what's cool. It's how much time do I have? How many books can I buy? And I understand you know, why people are unwilling or, or unlikely to embrace something new, but it is a thing I, I try and do it myself, where I go in sight unseen, I try and pick up a thing that I've never seen before, along with whatever I came in for. Mm-hmm. And so, like, and I even even if it feels uncomfortable, like when I'm at a restaurant that I know I like the one thing, I'll try. I'll make an active effort every second time I'm there. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to try the pineapple green curry because. <laughs> I know I like Pad CU, but I've had that a bunch of times, and I think you do get diminishing returns after a while, right? It's mm-hmm. like this is my problem with that Star Wars yeah. franchise. It's like you keep going back to the thing you like, and if you can't find either new things in it to love or find any flaws with it, mm-hmm. it starts to feel like this slog. Like you do it out of obligation. Yeah. And that's kind of how I feel about almost every franchise now, where I'm like, oh man, like I'm sure it'll be fine, but <laughs> don't I like uh, how many Star Wars stories can be told where there's something really compelling for me? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like not not for the you know f- six year old girl who came up to my table and then loudly declared to, while making unbroken eye contact with me, I am Phasma. I am Phasma. It's like. Don't be there for her. I want to be this little girl's best friend now. <laughs> she was awesome, and then she just wandered off. Like, that's it. It's like, okay. She just wanted to give you this information like, and then leave. Here's a 411. I'm asthma. If she disappeared in a puff of smoke, I think she would have been like 10 times more badass. <laughs> she just blasted her way through the crowd. Oh my god. She, uh, yeah, she, uh, like, I, when I think about people like that, or when I see, um, you know, pictures of, of little kids who are super into whatever it is, I, I see, you know, it's simultaneously I'm hearing, you know, older fans saying, well, that's not the version of Power Rangers that I, whatever. It's like, do you stop? Get past that. Yeah. You know, like, you still have the thing if you want it. But ultimately, the reason I think people get so attached is just like you were saying earlier, they take it on as like a part of their identity. Mm-hmm. The reason that they're so intense about it is like it because it's not just being interested in this artifact; it's being synonymous with that artifact. Yeah, I mean, the, we saw that with the um, the Ghostbusters. Uh, you know, 
movie that came out where it was it seemed like there were a lot of dudes that were just really butthurt about the idea of four women being uh being the ghostbusters and and it was like it's not for you right now like what this is for the little girl who loves science and then gets to see four women being scientists and and saving the day (laughs) I, I saw it and I went into it with no preconceptions. It's like I like the, the original Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I knew that conversation it was out for a while before I saw mm-hmm. the new one, and I didn't like it for reasons that had zero to do with the people who were the cast. Yeah, I liked the cast. I didn't like the movie. Mm-hmm. I also didn't feel compelled to say that on Twitter because it's like it's not a. There's what point is there to that? It's like I'm gonna offend friends of mine who did like it mm-hmm. if somebody liked it that's awesome you know, as like, someone who did like it I'm offended just letting you know <laughs> <laughs> you know like, I feel the same way about that that I did about you know, you know Rogue One or mm-hmm. any other of these things where like I feel like there's a version of that thing that I can imagine being really awesome mm-hmm. you know and you know, like all of my problems with those things were internal yeah it's like you, you have these great uh, comedic actresses but the the plot in the same way that like with Force Awakens the plot is essentially a retread but with wackier parts mm-hmm. or like more outlandishy parts of, of the original mm-hmm. right so like we're going over a similar ground but we're we're doing it in a way that feels very um, audience tested and yeah. that's my problem with, with franchises generally is that the likelihood of of screwing up incurs such a great cost that the risk taking or trusting your talent to make a thing that is wholly original mm-hmm. is just too great a risk. And so, like, like I felt, you know, like I I wasn't uh, I didn't walk out of it thinking like, oh, I hate this. Mm-hmm. I just thought like, okay, that's a meal at this restaurant that I don't need to have again. That was a thing that happened. Right. <laughs> Where, like, there are others, like, it wasn't, like, I like Melissa McCarthy most as Suki on the original Gilmore Girls. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, and I like her second best as as uh, the character she played in the movie Spy with Miranda mm. Hart. That was, and I, like, yeah. the third best as Sean Spicer. <laughs> <laughs> and I, like, you know, I was like, these are people who I, I value and like, but I also think it's a, it, it can be a no-go area. Mm-hmm. You, if you want to have a practical discussion about the value of it, I think it's good to do with somebody who you've established a certain amount of trust with. Oh, for sure, yeah. If you do it on Twitter, no. if you have good intentions, like, and that that space is like, uh, it, it's, it is a, a pool of gasoline and everything is a match. Mm-hmm. Because the, because the space just doesn't allow for you to have larger, longer conversations, and in some cases, it's it just is it's not beneficial, you know. Like I, like I was saying earlier, like I don't, I don't see any reason why it's worthwhile to to trade on the things you don't like. No, I've I, no, and I agree, especially like with the, the no, of course, like, yeah. no, like taking your your opinions to Twitter and, and thinking that you're somehow going to either one change ever you know anyone's mind about it or to right. not incur someone's wrath. You know, it's I, I've had that with a lot of the Disney movies lately. Like I'm not a not a huge fan of the live action remakes. Right. I detested Maleficent. Like 
because I I grew up with uh, with Sleeping Beauty. It's my mom's favorite movie, so I grew up watching it. And so it's like when you take the most evil of villains, whose big claim to fame is that she turns into a freaking dragon, and you make a movie where she does none of these things. And it just becomes like some surrogacy for motherhood or whatever, and it's a rape allegory. <laughs> this is the problem with with trying to do Darth Vader's backstory mm. unnecessary. Yeah, this is the problem with you know you're like why do you have to go back into you know, mind Maleficent or remake Beauty and the Beast? It's like it's because of, like you know like and everybody knows right? It's like we know on a certain level that it is a three hundred million dollar gamble, mm-hmm. and if you want to make back your investment if you want to keep establishing this thing that sells pajamas and lunchboxes and whatever and that's in part why I love comics so much Mm -hmm. is because you know it's like for all the frustrations that I have with like the sort of larger cultural choices right so like whether it's you know like do we really need ten you know nine Fast and the Furious movies no we don't you know do we need a remake of Bewitched did like what no yeah we don't why going back and mining the Smurfs 30 plus years after it was not a viable uh, you know media property that people cared about in America is because people have heard the word Smurfs mm-hmm. and in comics we still do that as a culture but we also have things where you know, like, Vera Broskel makes, uh, you know, Anya's ghost, mm-hmm. and nobody's heard of it, you know, or, um, you know, Tom Gold makes a book like, You're All Jealous of My Jetpack. <laughs> There's zero mm-hmm. background for that. You know, like, this stuff just emerges out of nowhere, uh, and you can tell personal, interesting stories yeah. in this way that incurs very little risk, so you see a lot of Risk taking mm-hmm. by creators, you know, like uh, I just there's an endless array of really cool things that you can pull from, and that's why, like in part, I understand on some level that there are valuable cultural fights to have over things like, you know, when you see pictures of, of little girls who are going up to uh, Kristen Wiig or uh, Kate McKinnon. McKinnon. Yeah, I'm kidding. Mm-hmm. I was like, Keen, that's my agent. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and like those photographs to me are well worth the, the price of entry. Mm-hmm. Like whatever it is, it's like, I, I want there to be a, a general pluralism in, in my culture. And if, if that means that this baton has been passed to this other thing, it's like, I'm not going to have some fight about, um, about that thing because it's just not worth it. I don't care enough. Yeah, no, like, it's like the, the anger it. can't sustain you enough yeah, like, for that. I, and it's like, and I don't, I don't feel genuine displeasure about those things. Not really. I was, I was neutral on it. Like, what I care more about is, you know, science advocacy, environmental advocacy, mm-hmm. you know, like clear-minded, um, you know, political outreach by smart people, good journalism. Mm-hmm. Like those kind of things are the things that I want to invest my my ire to whatever degree I've got it in that. And, you know, nitpicking over franchises, it's amazing to me how how many people spend an inordinate amount of time, you know, talking about whether or not this thing or that thing was done right. And it's such a a funny thing where, like, you could take possession of 
a, a realm like comics and really make a big impact. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm, like, I'm so excited to see that the array of people who are coming up and that the mechanisms to support them in comics are really trying to make a point, you know, whether I, on my own personal time or in uh, my own ways, will make an effort to do that kind of thing. It is, I'm part of a larger structure of people who are making that effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's I, 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 that's a thing that I think is for all of the shitty stuff that happens at the most in industry moneyed end of comics. Yeah, there's really good stuff happening uh, in indie comics or Kickstarter things. Like uh, my friend Spike Trotman from Chicago. Yeah, yeah. All kinds of wonderful stuff. Uh, like, is there just any? number of people who are making rad shit and <laughs> and just going out of your way like that's the good part of Twitter is meeting people who I otherwise wouldn't meet getting a chance to signal boost people who are otherwise underserved by whatever platform I've got like I I want to see lots of good stuff and I feel like comics is where you can make that happen yeah no I, I agree I'm trying, I... trying to go to Disney and be like make this thing more like I want it it's like they know on a certain level there's like 10 ways to make a thing people like mm-hmm. and there's literally 60 million ways to make a thing that people hate yeah. and so they're going to go right down the middle like Brian Posehn compared Star Wars to mashed potatoes <laughs> he's, like, he's like yeah people getting mad that it didn't have chives or whatever it's like it's mashed potatoes mm-hmm. you know, like, try and make it into this thing it's not and whatever you're criticisms are they're just gonna make more mashed potatoes yeah like if if they're the thing that i have with disney is like there are there are things that you can fix about a lot of these movies like in like in i i I actually went to a certain point where I was like, okay, I'm going to tell you how the Maleficent movie should have gone. Like, this is... Because you need to make her... Like, I get why they did it, because they're like, well, let's soften the villain part and make her marketable and blah, 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 blah. But it's like, no, you have an opportunity to show the origin of a villain in a way that would be visually compelling and, you know, story-wise. And then it's like at the end of the day, when once you... Because I tend to do that, I write it out. I'll just be like, okay, well, fine. I, I did that with Frozen because I didn't yeah. really care for Frozen all that much either. And yeah, I was amazed, right? I was like, I didn't know what it was. I kept hearing because I have a, a fair number of young kids in my orbit. Friends of mine having kids, or you know, like I used to work at a before and after school uh, childcare program, and so I still know people from that. Yeah, this song kept coming up. <laughs> this i guess i should see it before i mm-hmm. hate it so much i can't handle watching it and i watched it and i just was i didn't get it but i think it's like what you know we were talking about earlier it's, it's not for me yeah like minecraft's not for me i don't get it i don't understand <laughs> yeah no i don't either i look at it like what okay what's the function of this and why is it not working i think that it i think it's from what i can tell it serves a purpose of like allowing for a, a certain type of guided creativity, mm-hmm. right? You get certain neurochemical rewards for performing certain tasks, and like I get that from, from drawing, yeah, on page. But not everybody ha- is predisposed toward that skill set or wants to practice that, mm-hmm. and it doesn't reward you for a really long time. You know, like <laughs> I've been drawing at this point for 
uh, you know, actively trying to make a thing look like a thing for 33 years. Mm-hmm. And I just now am getting to the point where I think, like, yeah, I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can assure you that you're doing really good. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's a, I, I get why, I get to a certain extent, but, but, you know, like, a, stuff not being for me, like, I did that with, this, like, so, like, here's the thing, I mm-hmm. think, the, the first three Star Wars movies, I'm using ear quotes. I feel like we're, uh, we're, we're really touching on a nerve here with Star Wars yeah. with you. Like, did you just well, recently the, see Rogue One, or is it... <laughs> they're so bad. They're, they're objectively bad. And the reason that I think it's fair to say that is because you can look at them and know that there was a way it could have been done well. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, if you are going to... just as, I think this touches... Connects to your Maleficent idea that if you're going to show evolution of a villain yeah you're going to show the relevant events that turn them into this menace then you do what breaking bad did Mm -hmm. and you start off with a premise of a character that is at least sympathetic yeah is at least uh but then you you have their in a character traits at least in the case of that show like man hubris is his thing pride is his thing Mm -hmm. where like it's not about any of the rest of the stuff it's just Tell me I'm smart. Yeah. You know, tell me I'm the best at something. You know, like, and I think that, you know, like in the case of those first three Star Wars movies, when I was a kid, there's that little speech Obi Wan gives to Luke where he's like, you know, the Clone Wars, blah, blah, blah. Your father was a great pilot. Yeah. In my head, I was like, okay, he lives on the frontier. You know, he, he's, his, his people are constantly being bombarded by bandits like in Seven Samurai. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he seeks justice and he just can't seem to find it. And they can barely hold off these attacks with these scrapped together, you know, planes they've got. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, a white hat rides into town. It's a Jedi. And he helps take down this whole bunch of badass motherfuckers with his light sword. Yeah. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, this idea of being able to spread that kind of justice across the galaxy and it's not enough to do it by yourself mm-hmm. you have to start to you know conscript people into this mechanism and they can't all be jedis i have to be the one who's in charge i'm the only one who needs to have the force and then by the time you've you've transitioned this person who started off with a virtuous idea about justice and order and these other things you can easily see that taken to the extreme where it's not about protecting people anymore it's about keeping disorder spreading and that's how you get this bad guy Mm -hmm. right and instead what we got was a bunch of really great concept artists yeah making a you know the best thing they could out of shitty ingredients that were given to them by a person who never had his will questioned Mm -hmm. right like yeah the irony of that set of stories is that we see the where the origin of a villain comes from and it's nobody ever questioning George Lucas. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's people never saying, hey, this is a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe let's talk about, you know, remember when you were young and you liked Joseph Campbell? Yeah. You know, like, remember when you watched like, a lot of samurai movies and like, those old 40s serials? And right, remember so how great Indiana Jones was? And then you ruined yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you were really good at making mashed potatoes for a while. And then you just started putting cereal in them. <laughs> you know, there might be some people who are okay with that because mm-hmm. they like mashed potatoes enough that, yeah, you know, whatever. I guess Lucky Charms is part of the mix now. Sure. <laughs> you know, but that is what it felt like to me. And I waited in line 
and now I'm at the point where it used to bug me a lot and Mm -hmm. you know like I I know it sounds like I just went on a rant but it's like I don't if if there there are people who are into it and I don't try and change their mind yeah so it's sort of like the same way that I feel about religion it's like until you start to make it a part of my life do whatever you want Mm -hmm. in, in private you know like but as soon as you like you know try and make it this thing where like you have to like it too yeah you know that is that's a, a bummer when there become conditions and uh, <laughs> stipulations and provisos and <laughs> but yeah like uh, the stuff that I, mean, I get excited about now I, I'm I'm surprised that it ever gets made but the best thing I saw recently was Arrival yeah oh I my god it so much because like they didn't have to blow anything up. Mm-hmm. It was a movie where syntax is what saves the day. Right? <laughs> like, when, do, when does linguistics awesome. ever, like, change the course of history? <laughs> yeah, it's like, I, was just, I was so pleased, and, like, the structure of it is so good. I don't want to spoil it for anybody who's listening, but mm-hmm. if you haven't seen Arrival, you should go see it, because it is uh, just a wonderful thing. And, like, it, I, I cried in the first... 10 minutes of the movie and it's just emotionally arresting for the rest of the time Mm -hmm. and so like when that kind of thing comes out I really do try and make a point to say this thing is awesome Mm -hmm. if you you want to see a movie with a strong female lead that doesn't retread ground where you don't even have to have the stupid battle with with gatekeepers Mm -hmm. like this thing doesn't have any pedigree this thing is now and it's for everybody mm-hmm. like I I don't know you know like no it's I, I I was recently I was I rewatched um A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night I haven't seen that it's oh, a really great it's so really good like, it's uh, cause I done a I, I'm doing a, a rewrite of a, of a review for a new article um for another website and so okay. I, I was kind of going over it again it's been like two years and watching it again and I was just like oh my god this movie is so good <laughs> And yeah. and it's I mean it's black and white it's a, it's a oh, it, they, I think it's billed as an Iranian um, western right. it, with a vampire. It's all subtitled, right? Yeah, yeah, it's all subtitled, um, and it's it's gorgeously shot. Like Anna Lily uh, Amirpour is it's just so gorgeous, and awesome. so much is said without dialogue. Like there's the yeah, yes. yeah. This, this is the thing. Like when when Fury Road came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mentor is Steve Lieber. Do you know Steve Lieber? Yeah, I do. Yeah. You should, if you have a chance to have him on your show, you should. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but he, he at one point said to me, because I hadn't seen it yet, it's like, there are there are more words in uh, Welcome to the Jungle than in the entirety of this film. <laughs> and I was like, he's right. It's so good. It's uh-huh. like a perfect example of show and not tell. Mm-hmm. It's the opposite of those Star Wars bullshit trilogy exactly it's it's the best it's like Mm -hmm. here you have this whole host of characters you know what they want you know what's what's uh at stake there's uh, like just the use especially even if like if you're gonna go back to the well Mm -hmm. you do it the way that george miller did where you have an original story to tell in that space Mm -hmm. and like mad max the max character is just he's just this entry he's like the the doormat on yeah. the way to the movie. And, like, that movie, so fucking good. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to show it to every young person uh, in terms of, like, 
here is what a movie can be. Yeah. And it sounds like uh, uh, A Girl Walks Home Alone uh, at Night. Yeah, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Uh, but that is, is this like a similar, similar deal where like... It's, yeah, it's... it's it, I, I know that she took some uh, influence from Tarantino, and I think it's just in the okay. way that she you know, uses the pauses and right. the, the when no one is talking... And she just kind of there's these this focus on the eyes that's just I yeah. I love that like when you can see everything that the actor is doing in their eyes and you're just like oh. I mean I I remember being in the theater with that because in Seattle you have like the little SIF theater um, yeah. and sitting there watching that and the last I'm not even kidding the last like five minutes were so intense like just in terms of what you you're just trying to figure out what's going to happen and you don't know and you're like oh my god oh my god and. And so very little, and sometimes it just seems like so very little happens, but then it just, then you realize a lot has happened. Right. Um, so I can appreciate that. So there's a, a thing that, that makes that makes me think of uh, this conversation my brother and I, he might have a brother who's 12 years younger than me. Oh, okay. And so his, like, his experience with culture is very different. Mm-hmm. So he will show, me and my wife will show him movies from when we were kids or teenagers, and his sense of structure is way different. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. We, we showed him say anything, and he got really annoyed that after the couple got together, there was still more movie. Okay, yeah. So it tells you that, like, he's used to seeing a certain type of romantic comedy or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, where was I going with this? Oh, just, like, the idea that when you're watching a movie and people are deliberately leaving space mm-hmm. or they're, you know, Using some structure that runs contrary to what we are used to seeing, mm-hmm. uh, that like, I love when people will take that risk because it's uh, you know like of course there are tons of people who are just going to play it safe. It's a lot of money on the line, but yeah, I, I love to see a thing like that where they use every aspect of it and everybody's equally committed, and yeah. you can tell a thing was made with love. Oh my god. When, when yeah. you see a, a vampire with the, her shador uh, kind of out there, almost like a like a superhero cape while she's skateboarding down a road, it's like one of my favorite shots in cinema. I mean, it's just, it's so cool looking, but at the same time, it, it where it happens in the movie, it's it's telling you a lot too, so um, highly recommend. It's on Netflix, so if you have Netflix, it's streaming. So. And that's, that's the thing, is like with, uh, with some movies, I don't, especially that are subtitled it's hard for me to get around to them because most of the time I have time to watch movies is when I'm drawing yeah like or if Lindsay and I get together and watch a movie it has to be a thing she will she'll be likely to want to watch mm-hmm. and with horror movies like I, I want to see I wouldn't Descent dis- oh Descent I've, yeah I, like it's a movie that Steve Lieber and Jeff Parker told me about when they were working on uh, underground, mm-hmm. where they had to do a lot of you know spelunking reference and whatever else. And <laughs> that movie is you know a horror movie set in a cave with tight mm-hmm. spots and yeah, yeah. monsters and stuff. And then I saw some other, uh, it's like a still shot or a gif from some movie that uh, was called like The Mist or something. Okay, yeah, yeah. Monsters in the Mist. And I was like, that thing looks so cool. I want to go see that thing. Mm-hmm. You know, but yeah, like I, I. It's hard for me to make time to see stuff, but that's a movie that keeps coming out. My friend Natalie Nuragat, who works at Disney as a storyboard artist. Oh, cool. She has recommended. And uh, she's... She, if you don't know her stuff, you should check her out. Natalie Nuragat. Okay. 
I, she's wonderful. She's really, really good. I will definitely make a note, because I, I love, actually, a lot of the Disney storyboard artists, just because they do such, I mean, even if it's not for the finished product, like, the little doodles that they, they make, and yeah. the just the backgrounds and it's just like I it's it's one of those things that makes me wish for the 2D animated to come back a little bit more because you look at like something like 101 Dalmatians and it's just like every background is a painting you know yeah. it's this beautiful like brush stroke effect and it's just like oh yeah. my god <laughs> it's lovely it's like I, I feel like it's sort of unfortunate because we're I think in, in some ways past past the point where with rare exception will not take that risk mm-hmm. like I'm amazed that Leica continues to do stop oh motion stuff yeah. it's like Kubo and the Two Strings was really great but mm-hmm. like if it doesn't do insane box office then it's not a success and like if it doesn't spawn you know an endless run on sleeping bags and <laughs> yammies and whatever else it's, mm-hmm. it's a, such a shame that that's the thing that we that that's how we determine what's what's a success is like are you sick of it yet yeah well and just the the i saw a thing i think one of the um puppeteers tweeted out his um his l and i thing or whatever like some he had injured himself doing something with one of the models on kubo and and just like having to put that on there like you know puppet fell on me kind of thing oh man (laughs) it's like the the actual hazard of working there i mean like Those are the things that, that's, I think that's what bugs me the most. I mean, we've, we've kind of dovetailed into this, like, here's all the negative thing, but at the same time, it, it makes it, it, it'll make a point at some point, I think. Um, but it, that's one of the things that is bugging me currently about a lot of the superhero movies, just, I mean, DC especially, because they've just been so terrible at it right now, is, is that it's so unearned any of the the character beats the the plot points i mean my a friend and i we did um a whole podcast about batman versus superman oh god oh right and and we were just like trying to figure out what the hell the movie was and who it was even for because we're we're just like what is this (laughs) right like that's that's a perfect perfect question who is this for Mm -hmm. and and i feel like that's that's the part where i have the most frustration it's not that I think it's just just like we were talking about earlier. It's like you can make a mistake if that mistake comes from an earnest place. Mm-hmm. Like you're trying your very damnedest to make a thing. It 
doesn't come off perfectly, that's okay. Yeah. But if you feel, like, there's a sense I get where, like, it's just too many cooks. Yeah. Right? There's too many things at stake. You know, like, they're getting people in and rewriting this bit, doing this reshot, and, like, they want to get this part in. and, And, you know, like... Well, I don't really care about you know what people's thoughts are on Superman. He's going to be this authoritarian figure because I read you know Dark Knight Returns and right. I'm not really going to really examine the symbolism that carefully of like why that choice was made in context. I'm just going to make it because it's cool. Yeah, it's like, but it's not cool. It comes across as lame. And it, well, it's it's just that Zack Snyder clearly wanted to make a Batman movie. It's like he wanted to make a Batman movie and he had to do yeah. Superman to get to it and. Well, wanted two Batmans. Yeah, he wanted two Batmans. Like, uh, to me, like, the whole, like, the point of the the Superman story, or the DC characters in general, and, like, why I loved them so much when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. they were bright colors, and they were fun, and just this idea of justice, and there could be good guys and bad guys, and this trend that the DC movies have of, in order for you to take it seriously... Everybody's got to be gritty, and Superman's an asshole. It's like, yeah. I want Superman to be what I think his role was for a long time, which is this character created by two Jewish kids from my hometown, mm-hmm. you know, who were the children of immigrants. Yeah. And he's the ultimate immigrant. He comes from outer space. He is finds himself in this environment, and he decides to take the best parts of humanity and try and embody that to whatever extent he can. And then when he has powers, he doesn't become a dick. Yeah. Because found out early on that, like, from good people, that the best way to use your powers is in the service of others. It's like, man, that is a far cry from what we see on the screen. Oh, it's it's like, it's so much more aspirational. And they just, yeah. they're like, we, we want to do realistic and, and blah, blah, blah. It's like, stop trying to blame Cliff, yeah. Christopher Nolan for what you screwed up, like, <laughs> right. and, like and, and like when you first see him in, uh, is it uh, not Man of Steel? It's uh, what's the new one called? The first one with Henry Cavill. No, that was Man of Steel. That was Man of Steel. Yeah, yeah. So like, as soon as he gets the suit, he smashes through his mom's house and starts fucking up his hometown. Yeah, basically. Like, as soon as he gets the suit, he's an asshole. Yeah, I know. It's like, and there's like all this like. You know, weird Jesusy uh, iconography in there. It's like, aside from my, you know, dislike of religion generally, like it's hacky. Oh no! Yeah. And the minute he like, I remember even just in the theater, the minute he says like, telling the general how old he is, like I'm 33 years old. Like oh, f- yeah, like I, I was just right in front of like a, a stained glass window. It's like, oh come on, you know, like uh, like it's just it's just silly, and it's like I feel like it. It misses the point. It misuses symbolism. Mm-hmm. And the critique of it is not just to shit on it to make myself feel better. It's, it's you know, I think it's a, sort of the same way you feel. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm trying to participate in, in this thing that you've, you've made. Yeah. You know, like, all these people worked really hard on it. There's some probably some amazing artists who, who worked in the backgrounds and worked on costuming and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's all in the service of a person who has not thought through implications of the choices they've made yeah and how that is dovetailing into this new universe of superheroes and if you come back from that experience and think i'm not just gonna i'm not just a bomb thrower i'm not just putting that out there because 
I disliked it, and I want everybody else to experience my emotion of dislike. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, unless I'm having a conversation like this, for the most part, I don't ever think about it again. Yeah. You know, like, except for thinking, what did they do poorly that in my own projects I'm going to try really hard to avoid? Mm-hmm. And so, like, in, so when I try and do examinations of, of things that I, I take issue with, I, I, I guess we'll see if it bears fruit or not, but like on the, my own personal projects, when I start writing my own stuff, I want to have thought about it mm-hmm. and, and gone into it with uh, as much foreknowledge and practice examining those things as possible and then solicit negative opinions from people that I trust. Yeah. Right? So like show it to somebody and say, does this make sense? Mm-hmm. Is there a part of this I could have done better? Uh you don't always have the opportunity to do that, but when you do, it's a shame. It's a crime if you don't. Yeah, it's like if you if you if someone can actually tell you like how to improve something and it and it makes sense and and you're just like oh okay well that changes this but that's cool we can do this that and like that's yeah. that's how I want to envision the creative process where these movies are concerned, but I know that's not true. And yeah. <laughs> I, I'm amazed sometimes when anything good gets made in terms of movies just because of all the stuff we've already talked about with. Yeah. The, how much is at stake? You know, well, you got to get this person signed on, and does their schedule match with this person's? And oh, this person decided they wanted to produce, and we got this money that's come in from China. So can you set part of it in Shanghai? And <laughs> like, you know, like, there's all this stuff, and hearing from people who have worked inside that industry, mm-hmm. um, it's they do the best they can, and you know, like in some cases, that's not not, not always true. Some people yeah. are just awful. And they're in it for some cheap, exploitive, hot minute of whatever they can wring out of people. Yeah. But I really liked Logan. You know, like, I, mm-hmm. I thought that was, by and large, really well done. And it felt gritty, but it also felt like there was some intent behind uh, the characters. And mm-hmm. I cared about the emotional connections between the characters. And I liked what I saw. And I left the theater thinking, yeah, I would want to watch that again. Yeah. And luckily because it seemed like somebody gave a damn. Yeah. No, I felt that way about Deadpool. I was like, I came out of that going like, finally! Right. <laughs> you, you, when you find out that like, Ryan Reynolds fought to get that made. Mm-hmm. You know, and like, it's, that kind of thing makes me happy. That's why I like Pacific Rim. I know it's not perfect, but mm-hmm. I like it because I feel like that's a movie that Guillermo del Toro wanted to make. And that's a movie that I wanted to see since I was 10 years old, even though I didn't know it was going to come out. It's just so good. It's yeah, like the scale of it is fun. And, like, I like the, you know, like, uh, for a while I was going around this this idea of, like, everybody will will use the Bechtel test as their main uh, reference point for whether or not a movie has good female representation. But I read a nice essay that was called the Michael Mori test. Mm, mm-hmm. and I was like, well, oh, that's interesting. I like that idea too because the Bechtel test. I don't think she meant it to be exhaustive. No, probably some, not. There are some people who, when they throw that out there, it's like, well, it didn't pass the Bechtel test. It's like, yeah, but you had this character uh, who is crucial to the development of everything. Mm-hmm. And she's not tied necessarily fully to the destiny of the person who is the other co-lead in the movie. Yeah, makes her own choices. Her choices set the tone and destiny for all these other things. And in some cases, that is a really important role uh, to have. 
uh, for a character like Princess Leia is hugely iconic, largely uh, because she stands out as this figure across all three movies mm-hmm. who is badass in every single one. Yeah, and without yeah. her, nothing nothing happens. Like without her, uh, there is yeah, no like, Luke Skywalker yeah. coming to save the day. There's no, you know, she's right. she's like, the she, bridge. She makes Han Solo into a person who is redeemable. Yeah, exactly. Like, he's a person who, like, uh, you know, makes her way into the, the bases and shuts shit down. And, like, like I, I feel like that, that's an instance where that, the significance, the gravity of that character. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I want to see more representation uh, across a variety of things, but I don't think that there's any one metric by which we can say okay well this did this one thing and yeah. i just like the idea of of there being a, a host of different ways we can look at a thing and say what did it get right and is there a way to build on that yeah too? you know, like, take the right lessons away from it instead of like obsessing over the the, the you know yeah you're never going to make everyone happy that's impossible you know, to, to think that you can is ridiculous and shows far more hubris than I think, you know, most people express, but... I don't know where the phrase comes from, but the tyranny of petty differences Mm. is a a phrase I've heard applied, and it doesn't mean that these things are unimportant, but people fighting over the degree to which they're important is, is the thing that I think slows down a lot of creative process or a lot of potential celebration for good things Mm -hmm. that are done well, you know, like... I, I, for the most part, you know, the, the reason I'll follow somebody on Twitter is that they have really insightful, interesting things to say, and uh, I like listening to people for those reasons, and I've realized that I can like a person and value what they have to say if, if they offer 60% useful things, mm-hmm. the rest of the stuff is even stuff that I'm like, nope, you know, like, really disagree with. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that there's I don't know who I saw propose it but this idea of trying to find a charter for conversation that you have with other creatives or other people who care about the things you care about mm-hmm. where you that was uh, Ezra Klein oh, okay. saying that he has this document that everybody at Fox he wants to make sure that they read and try and abide by mm-hmm. and one of those things is you go in trying to be as charitable as possible to somebody who you disagree with. He's like, now there are some people who haven't earned that charity. And if there's a version, like if a, if a person is beyond dialogue and they've demonstrated that by just being a dick from minute one, they're confrontational with no uh, positive intent. You know, like then, that's my brother's calling me. Oh, that's this. fine. <laughs> no, I mean, we're getting close to, I think we're going to probably need to wrap this up pretty oh, soon sorry. here. But so, but no, but continue with the. Essentially, what he was saying is that, like, as long as a person's not coming in and, and actively trying to blow up your spot for no good reason, if 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 you've engaged in a dialogue with this person and they've demonstrated any willingness to be turned around, mm-hmm. then try and come into it with a with a prospect that, like, okay, maybe not in this moment, but represent to them what you think their perspective is in the most charitable way possible, right? And so, like, another thinker I like, this guy Sam Harris, he calls it steel manning, Mm -hmm. where you present another person's argument. And the person who does this really well on Twitter is this guy, 
uh, whose Twitter handle is Absurdist Words. Okay. And he goes by uh, his Twitter name is Five Foot Seven Black Male. Okay. And wow, is he patient? <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> I, I love to see him lay out points because he he never rises to the bait someone offers him, and mm-hmm. he gets a lot of people trying really hard to get his code. Yeah. And he's just fantastic. I feel like Spike Trotman's another person who does that really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, her, her response to things is almost always like a perfect mic drop. <laughs> and like, Jesus, like, yeah, she's uh, amazing. Uh, but, but that kind of thing, just for like, whether it's criticism or this discussion of more serious issues or representation or, um, you know, talent pools or, uh, you know, what, what do they call it? Like virtue signaling or mm-hmm. any number of other things. Like, there's, I think the problem is like we've largely entered a space where we profit ourselves emotionally by being suspicious. Mm-hmm. There's, it is a safer. There's less of an opportunity cost or, or emotional fallout potential by just assuming that everybody is your enemy and that uh, you know shutting somebody down is the ultimate goal. Yeah. And for the most part, whenever I have discussions with somebody, I'm genuinely amenable to having my opinion changed. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I try and let people know in real time when they've changed my mind. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, allow me to talk to you about the tri- the first the, uh, the, the prequels for a while. And we'll know. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I won't do that to you. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm sure that there's a way to look at them and... and s- for me, the chief value that came out of them was great concept art. Mm-hmm. You know, and like I found out who Ian McCaig and Terrell Whitlock were yeah. because, uh, and Doug Chang. Mm-hmm. I found out about them because of, of the art books. But yeah, I, I just feel like <laughs> oh, and I figured out how to do how to not do like how to look at things. How to not do a villain's origin story, <laughs> right? Like or, or how to how to establish a friendship, right? It's yeah. Like, or how to establish a character. There we go. Like, uh, there's a... The guys at Red Letter Media, as terrible as they can be on some things, mm-hmm. their Star Wars video, if you could remove all the Plinket nonsense... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, when they break down that first uh, The Phantom Menace, like, that's like a master class in, yeah. in examining where good intentions with a strong property can go wrong. There, I would also recommend um, Michael Barrity. Uh, he does okay. a, a belated media. He okay. he basically rewrote the um, the trilogy, the the prequels. Uh, and uh, I think in the second one, second and third one, he actually has a storyboard artist who helps him out. Um, How do you spell his last name? B a r r y t e. Y t e. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's possible, and I've heard people tell me like, "Oh, you got to watch it in machete order," and there's all this <laughs> oh, stuff. Oh yeah, like, whatever. Like, I, I, like like we were talking about earlier, it's like I'm just not going to invest in that. Mm-hmm. Like, like uh, you know, Carl Sagan says in the original Cosmos that there's you know only so many books you can read in a human lifetime. True. There's only so many things you can engage with. And my friend Jonathan Case said recently, he said, "You know, I don't know how long I'm gonna be alive. How many more projects can I do? Fifteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, and when you start thinking about things in those terms, and you realize that, yeah, time is finite, and your emotional capital and your social capital, all these other things are finite. Like, do I really want to invest? Yeah, in, like, <laughs> uh, I don't. Like, I, I want to see. 
the next cool thing that you know uh, Andrew McLean or uh, or Claire Hummel makes. Oh my god! Right, I love Claire. That's what I want. You know, like I want to see cool shit, and there's so much of it that it's just funny to me where people will like, all right, this is the hill I want to die on. Versus <laughs> Superman is good, and here's why. I'm like, Here, here's oh, my sword, ready to fall. Right. Like, okay. You. Like if that's your if that's your thing, that's where you get max value. Then I'm not gonna stand your way. But Par- I, you far be it for me to get in the way of your joy. Um. <laughs> I, I I didn't think I was gonna like Rick and Morty because mm-hmm. I didn't like the way that it was drawn. Yeah. And I watched it, and I I don't know. Ex- I think by the end of the first episode, I realized that there was something special. Mm-hmm about what was happening on it. And the same same way with community where yeah. uh, at a certain point and like a, I realized I was experiencing genuine joy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, this is this is why people love this thing. Yeah, yeah. No. It's no, it's it's the best thing, like when you find something you just genuinely can appreciate it and love it and, and it you know, and share that sometimes and I think that's actually a really good place to, to go out on. Um We've yeah. been, it's been an hour and a half, which is right in my wheelhouse, so no, no worries. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, before we go, uh, Ben, where can people find you should they wish to converse or see your stuff or anything like that? Yeah, uh, well, the easiest place to find me are on Twitter. It's just Benjamin Dewey, D-E-W-E-Y, mm-hmm. uh, like the guy who almost defeated Truman. There you go. Uh, and then my website is BenjaminDewey.com. And I go to shows, I often table with Helioscope, the studio that I'm still sort of an emeritus part of. Mm-hmm. And um, my stuff comes out fairly regularly with Kurt Busiek and Autumn Lands. And my favorite thing I ever made is called the Tragedy Series. I love it so and much. <laughs> and I, I, I want to get back to doing more of that, but uh, it may be a while. Please do, yeah. because I, I, I'm so impressed by the amount of terrible things you can think up <laughs> and the yeah, amount of good things like, when you get the the reprieves <laughs> so. yeah, like, i was like i gotta i gotta try really hard to stay positive because now you know what the inside of my brain looks like <laughs> don't worry only i will know <laughs> awesome um and this is going to go out next friday so is there okay. anything you would like to promote the any of your books that are going to be coming out oh uh, well the new uh trade paperback for autumn lands volume two is out and um I'm working on a bunch of stuff, but it'll be a little while before any of that comes out. Okay. I'm working on uh, Cave Carson. I do a backup feature in that. Mm-hmm. And so you can find a little, little tiny drawings in there that I do. Yeah. But yeah, Outlands is the main thing. Okay, cool. Well, uh, on behalf of uh, That Girl with the Curls, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, good night, everybody. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs>